Turn with me there. Galatians chapter 2. We're looking this month at the, the five solas of the Reformation, the five central principles of the Christian faith. We saw last week the Apostle Peter show us that it is Scripture alone that is our final authority. And actually, when you, when you turn to the book of Galatians, we see that truth here too. In, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, the Apostle tells us, I received this gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. Scripture alone is our authority. And then in chapter 2, the apostle turns to the heart of the gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not by the law, but not by our works, but it is by faith that we are saved. Sola fide, faith alone. Listen, listen to this passage. The apostle describes a, a, an encounter in which he had to, had to bring the gospel to bear on the life of the Galatian church. He uses an example from his experience with the Apostle Peter, showing us that we are saved by Christ through faith alone. Listen to God's word. Galatians chapter 2, I'll begin at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, G in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. Let me pray for us as we listen to God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the bold confrontation of your Word in our lives. We, we see the confrontation between the apostles, and yet we see the beauty of the gospel. And so, Lord, press that gospel into our lives. For those that are hearing it, perhaps, today, as your word is opened to them, hearing it for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would, would turn and by faith trust in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, turn us from our sin so we may follow after Jesus. And Lord, do that work, reminding us that we who by faith have been crucified with Christ, we now no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. 
And Christ is the one who, who lives in us. He is our power and our hope. And so, Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Martin Luther, the church reformer, focused on the doctrine of justification by faith alone as the central doctrine of the church. He frequently lectured on the book of Galatians. He was a theologian, a professor by training, a teacher. And in his preface to his lectures in Galatians, he, he says this, if this doctrine, if this doctrine, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, if this doctrine is lost, then also is the doctrine of truth, of life, and of salvation. See, if the doctrine of justification by faith alone is lost, then Christianity is gone. What you are left with is, is not a, a slight distortion of Christian truth, but it is an altogether different religion. It is no longer Christianity. And so, so this passage shows us the gospel priority of, of faith in Jesus Christ, faith alone. Not the works, not the observance of the law, but merely faith in Christ. Look at, look at the way the, the priority of the gospel is shown to us in verses 15 and 16. This is really the, the center of, of this passage. And more than that, it, it's really the main statement of this entire letter to the church in Galatia. The apostle is writing to them, and this is the main point he wants to make. He says, a man, look at verse 16, a man is not justified by observing the law, by keeping the commands of the Old Testament, by following the rituals, by bringing sacrifices. That cannot justify a man by, by obeying the Ten Commandments. Man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So that we too have put our faith in, G in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. See, verse 16 is, is the gospel in a nutshell. It's, it's the doctrine of justification in a nutshell. It is the summary, the central truth of Christianity right there in one verse. You cannot be saved by your obedience. The only way to be saved is by faith in Christ. Now, now, it's important that we, we get out of the way here at the beginning, that it's, that it's not merely the idea of faith, because we, we talk as a culture often about, about being people of faith or being spiritual people. But, but there, we almost just mean faith in faith. It's just faith itself. And so when I say it is faith alone, I don't mean that it's just the idea of having faith. It is faith not works that saves you. It is faith in Christ. See, faith is the means by which we are saved. It's the tool we use to respond, but it is not the, the basis of our, of our truth. We, we need to, your, your faith always requires an object, one in whom you are putting your trust, and that one is Christ Jesus. Jesus himself who died for us, Jesus who has been raised from the dead. The doctrine of justification is the central truth of Christianity. Okay, now to, to be fair, if you were using the word justification repeatedly through the week, either you'd done something really wrong and were working hard to justify yourself, or you were in a courtroom, because it's a, it's a legal term, or you were perhaps in a theological debate or, or anticipating today's sermon with such eagerness that you were, you were preparing yourself by using the word. Because it's not a word we use regularly in our ordinary language. It is a big theological term, but it's one that's important for us to understand. Justification, this is the way our, our catechism teaches us. Justification is an act of God's free grace. It is something God does for us. 
Justification is the act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins. He accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. You see, this is a legal, this is the, the language of, a, of, a, of the courtroom. This is the judge declaring you to be innocent. You walk in guilty and yet are declared innocent because what has happened? Your sin has been placed on Jesus. But more than that, justification is not merely that, that you, are, you are innocent as if you had never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. It's more than that. It has the positive sense that, that also the righteousness of Jesus, all that he has done, his obedience of the law gets given to you. All of his medals, his commendations, his honors are, are, are pinned to your chest. His trophies go on your shelf. You are righteous. And so do you see what, what the apostle is saying? This justification, this righteousness, this holy standing, right standing before God, cannot come by your works. It cannot come by, by making yourself holy, by obeying, by obeying the law. Even the, the Old Testament pro, even the Old Testament commands, even the Ten Commandments, you cannot make yourself righteous. And so it's legal language. It's a declaration by God. It is God himself making us right with him. Several years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. And so last year when he lied to a judge about a urine test, part of his probation was he, he was not allowed to drink. And so when he lied to the judge, the judge knew that justice must be served. And this is what the judge said. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. Now, it's only one night, but Joe knew that it would for him be a long night. Joe says, when I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this anxiety. It came back like a flashback. See, Joe is a retired army soldier. He'd served three tours in Afghanistan. He has two Purple Hearts. He survived a vehicle crash in which his vehicle was plunged into a river and the water rose, trapping him. He was the only one to survive. And so now every time he walks into a small confined space, when that door shut behind him, he is trapped there. Now the judge knew Joe's story. And so he says, I knew what Joe was going through. And I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable. But I just felt I had to go with him. I had to be there with him. And so minutes after Joe was closed in the cell, the door opened, and the judge himself walked in and served the sentence with him. Joe says... By the judge being with me, talking me through the, with me through the night, sharing with me about his family and mine, he said the walls disappeared. I was no longer trapped in Afghanistan. Even in a cell, I felt like a free man. Justice served, and yet mercy shown. Now think of it. The gospel is an even greater mercy because your sin is, is much greater than a, than a failed drug test. 
Your sin is much greater than, than one lie to a judge. Your sin is rebellion against the king of the universe, the creator who loves you. And the, the sentence, much more severe. But see, therein is the great mercy of the gospel, that Jesus himself didn't merely walk with us to our cross. He took the cross from us and for us. Jesus died in our place. See, that is the hope of the gospel, that we are justified because the righteousness of Jesus is given to us and our sins are given to him. Now, when we, when we hear this doctrine, that we are justified by faith alone, that there's nothing good we can do, there's no rituals we can go through, there's no church attendance chart that we can fill up to, to make ourselves holy, well, then, then we might have some immediate questions. I mean, you might think, okay, really? All I have to do is believe. All I have to do is trust in Jesus. I don't have to do anything else. This seems like a really good deal. I mean, you, and so you're starting, to, you're starting to run it through your head, and you, now you think, okay, it doesn't matter. All of my sins get given to Jesus, so I could just keep piling up sins? Like, I mean, I can just do whatever I want? I mean, that's what, what you might think. That's actually the, the, the objection that, that people had from the very first time the gospel was preached. If, if grace is that free, if it's a gift given to you, if it requires nothing of you except accepting the gift, then you can just keep on sinning. I mean, that's, that's what, what the, the objection is here in verse 17. Look there. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, so we put our faith in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners— we're people still sinning. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? So you hear the objection? If grace is really that free, then you could just sin up a storm. Now, the Apostle Paul will answer that, that question even more directly in his letter to the Romans, but, but you see he's answering it here. And he says it in the, the strongest terms. I mean, he reaches back to archaic Greek structures of language to shout, absolutely not. No way. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying grace is, is, is an excuse for you to just keep on sinning. It's not a license to sin. No. When you really understand the gift that has been given to you, when you really understand the gospel, then, then you realize it's not, a, it's not a license to do whatever I want. It's, a, it's the freedom to do whatever Jesus wants. Jesus gave everything for me. So, of course, I would, would, would respond in love and I would turn from sin. See, because the, the order of, of salvation matters here. The gospel, you, you have to get things in the right gospel order. Because what's, what's the argument that's taking place here in, in the church in Galatia? You have, you have we're told in verse 12, this, this group of, of teachers, false teachers, who belong to the circumcision group. Right, which is a, a terrible name for any sort of theological position. But you see what they're saying is, if you keep the Old Testament commands, if you follow the, the requirements, and, and all, the, all the boys in the church are circumcised to keep the commands of the Old Testament law, if you follow the, the ritual purity laws of the Old Testament, then, then you can be saved. Now they're saying, yes, you, here's, here's the order of the, circum, the circumcision group would say, this is what it takes to become a Christian. Believe in the Lord Jesus— He's the Messiah. He is the rescuer. He is the king. Obey the law, and then you will be saved. That's the order. And now that order sort of sounds like, that. maybe doesn't, doesn't that make some sense? Because that's the way we, we often make sense of the world. Even if you wouldn't label yourself as part of the circumcision group, that's the way most religions of the world. Believe, obey, 
and then you can gain salvation. You can earn salvation. So Paul says, no, that, that, is, that is the wrong order. That's, that's a distortion of the gospel. It's no gospel at all. What, is, what does Paul say? He doesn't throw out obedience altogether. He just says you have to have that obedience, that keeping of the law of God, the command to love one another. You have to have it in the right order. And so what's the order the apostle is giving to us? He's telling us, believe in Jesus as the Messiah, then you will be saved. After that, obey. Now, it's the same three steps, right? They're just in a slightly different order. And so, so is this really that big of, of a deal? I mean, aren't we saying it's, I mean, isn't it sort of the same thing if we've got the same three ingredients that you pour into the pot and you mix them around? Does it, does it really matter what order you get this in? The apostle says, this is a matter of life and death. If you have these in the wrong order, you have no gospel at all. That's what he says in chapter one. If somebody comes and teaches you a different gospel, it is no gospel at all. There is no good news left because if it is up to you to believe and then obey, and only after your obedience can you earn your salvation, then there is no hope for you. But yes, is there a place in the Christian life for obedience, for obeying the law? Yes, but only after, only after you have believed in Jesus, received the gospel, then out of obedience, out of gratitude, you obey. See, the order matters, and it's not merely a subtle shift. It's, it's what, what J. Gresham Machen, a, a New Testament scholar of a century ago, would say is, is the difference between Christianity and not Christianity. It's not like a slightly worse version of Christianity. It's an altogether different gospel if you get this order wrong. Because true Christian obedience should flow out of the gifts we've been given. See, when, when Joe was brought then back weeks later into the judge's courtroom, having received a, an example of mercy from this judge, this is what he said to the judge. He, he promised no more mess-ups. He says, I don't want to let you down. See, he now sees the judge not as an adversary, but as one who has loved him. And don't you see, when you come to Jesus as the judge, you come to the Father as the judge of all, and you find that, that your sins have been forgiven, his, his righteousness given to you, then, then you look at that and say, what do you want me to do next? Anything for you. I'll give you my life. Not, because, not so that I can earn salvation, I don't obey in order to be saved. I, I obey because I have been saved. So we obey out of love and gratitude. We obey after we know that we have the gift of eternal life. And think of it, that, 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 this is the truth that Martin Luther rediscovered here studying Scripture. I mean, think of it. Martin Luther was a, was a religious monk. He followed a pattern of praying religiously, frequently, devotedly giving his life to the service of the poor, teaching the scriptures and theology to people. And because that's the order he had. I believe, I do a bunch of good stuff, and then I, then maybe, just maybe, he thought, I could receive salvation. But then he read the scriptures, and he reads passages like this. He, he studies through the book of Romans, which says, no, justification is a gift given to you. And he realizes all of that goodness. See, if, if Martin Luther 
can't get in by his own obedience. Then what hope do you and I have? If somebody who has devoted himself to a a monastic life of service to the poor and service to others, reading the Scriptures daily, praying repeatedly, if his goodness isn't enough, then what hope is there for us? And see, that's exactly the point. Luther recognizes that if it's up to me, it doesn't matter how many times I pray. It doesn't matter what I've done because my rebellion against God is so great. And so when when the the lectures of Luther, he, he lectured repeatedly through the book of Galatians, when the lectures were being published, he described the book not merely as a book of the Bible, he called Galatians, my Galatians. This is my story. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. You cannot be justified by your obedience. You are justified by faith alone in Christ. See, that is the hope of the gospel. Is this gospel yours? Do you believe it? Now, the gospel is true for us that, it, that this is the place where you need to start in your Christian journey, understanding this truth. But, but, but more than that, throughout your life, you'll see that this gospel message, this message of justification by faith alone is, is a gospel correction that you continue to need. I mean, think of the, the opposition of Paul to Peter here. All right now, if you were, if you were at this, this period in history, you were, you were starting your, your apostolic team, and you needed a big three. You know, it's like the NBA. You've got to have a big three to run for the championship. Who are the big three you're going to pick? It, well, if, if you're st- talking in the time of Jesus, it's Peter, James, and John. Now, James gets killed, but Thankfully, they replace him with another guy who also has the same name. So, so even in Paul's time, who are the big three that you're going to start with? Peter, James, and John. And so, you don't pick a fight with Peter. If Peter shows up in the church in Antioch and you're this beginning missionary, this, this novice, you don't pick a fight with Peter. This is the Peter, the number one apostle the one through whom the the church was launched after the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, what does Paul say? I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now, Peter didn't belong to the circumcision group, but he was starting to act as if he did. And so he needs this gospel correction. If you gave Peter the quiz, the justification by faith alone quiz, he's going to fill it out and he's going to get 100%, but then you put him out in real life. Even Barnabas, that great encourager to the Apostle Paul. I mean, there's almost a sadness in Paul saying, even Barnabas was led astray. See, maybe that's how, that's how you live, because I'm sure of it. None of you will ever attain the rank that Peter had in the church. There are no apostolic commissions being given out today. None of you are ever going to attain that. And yet, even Peter needs gospel correction because while we might be able to say the words in the right order, while we might pass the theology test, when it comes to real life, when we're put in those hard situations, we start to justify ourselves. We start to live as if what I do matters. And so you see what Peter is doing. He understands because, because Jesus has fulfilled all of the Old Testament law that he can eat a ham sandwich. And so he does with the Gentiles until the circumcision group shows up. And then he decides, well, maybe just to show how holy I am, maybe just to show that, that I'm not really like one of those Gentiles, maybe I really should, should try and keep the law. 
Do you see this distortion of, of the truth of the gospel in, in Peter's life? And, and Paul comes to him and opposes him to his face and then throws that question out at him in verse 14. You're not, you are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. No, he's saying that's how we should live. No, none of us have to keep those Old Testament cleanliness laws anymore because Jesus has fulfilled it for us. He says, so how is it then that you can now force Gentiles in the church to become part of this circumcision group? Because Paul is saying, look at verse 14, that Peter and Barnabas and the other hypocrites are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And so they need gospel correction. The gospel itself is on the line. And so you may have been a Christian for decades. You could have walked on water with Jesus and still in times in your life need this gospel correction. And this is one of those huge confrontations in the history of the church. Now, thankfully, the, the apostles, the apostles give us clarity on this issue. We see the clarity here in the book of Galatians. We see it in Acts chapter 15 as the church gathers and decides once for all the truth of this matter. There is no need for circumcision. There is no need for, for keeping the food laws, for keeping kosher, because Jesus has fulfilled the commands, the demands of the Old Testament. But yet, yet we still, we still look for ways to justify ourselves to, we still live as if my standing before God depends on what I can accomplish right now. And do you see the challenge? The, the outworkings of the circumcision group, well, there they, they had a very specific list. But today, think of it. If you get the order wrong, if you get the order wrong, the things that you do in obedience, they look the same. Coming to church and reading your Bible and caring for the poor and giving sacrificially. See, the things that you do, whether you have them in the right order or the wrong order, they look the same. And so the real issue is an issue of motivation. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to prop yourself up like, like Peter was doing in the eyes of others to make them see him as something? to seem holy? Are you doing it merely for yourself, to make yourself feel good about it? And see, see, this is a danger for all of us. I mean, the biggest danger for, for a preacher is that his preaching, that my preaching, would become the thing that I use as the, the measure of who I am and my goodness, my standing before God. And that we all are tempted to justify ourselves, to live as if my salvation depends on what I've done. Do you see Paul is saying, no, no, it is not by observing the law that you can be justified, but by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. And so this gospel message, this message of justification by faith alone is, yes, the entry point into, into your Christian understanding. It is the place where you need to begin. It's the message, if you're not a believer, you need to hear today. But, but if you've been a Christian for decades, this is still the message you need to hear. You at times need, need Peter to, to grab you by the shoulders and shake you, to confront you face to face and say, return to Jesus. He is your only hope. See, that's what Peter is leaving, or Paul is leaving us with here. Gospel hope. Because Jesus is the one in whom our hope is found. Jesus is the one who, who perfectly obeyed the, the laws of the Old Testament. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us. Notice how Paul describes for us the completed work of Jesus. 
Look at verse 19. Paul tells us, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. See, the law was, was always a tool, and even in the Old Testament, a tool to bring me to God, to show me my need. I mean, to, to live by the Old Testament sacrificial system, to live by the cleanliness standards, was very hard. Everything you did every day, merely grabbing a utensil, was a matter of your purity before God. Every step of the way you were reminded of your sinfulness, of your great need for a Savior. That's what the law was always meant to do. The law was supposed to work itself out of a job, show you you're a sinner, and then when Jesus arrives, the law is, is not there anymore. It is completed to take you to Jesus. So, so through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I no longer try and do things on my own to save myself. I live for God. We're told in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I died with Jesus. I was raised with Jesus. Jesus now lives in me. He is my power, my hope. Paul says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see the, the Apostle Paul? When he confronts Peter, he's not saying, Peter, step up and act like I'm acting. He doesn't say, Peter, let your righteousness be like my righteousness. No, he confronts Peter with the hope of the gospel. Peter, let your faith be in Jesus, Jesus, the one who loved you, the one who died for you. And surely Peter's response. Remembering the loving words of Jesus after the resurrection, when Jesus looks at him and tells him and asks him, do you love me? And, and reminds him of his own love. Surely, surely Peter saw the brokenness of his heart and turned. And we saw that because we read his letter last week, his hope in the gospel. But Paul is telling us that your gospel hope your gospel hope is in Jesus. And so what's it mean to live as a Christian? It means to live with faith in Jesus. Jesus, who, who by his power, his, his crucifixion power, his resurrection power, lives in you. Jesus is the one who loved you, who gave himself for you. And, and so Paul says in verse 21, if I set aside the grace of God, I, or I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be attained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See, if you could get yourself into heaven, then the story of Jesus dying is pointless, meaningless. He died for nothing. But Paul is saying Jesus Christ died because there was no other hope for you. The law was meant to show you your sin, to show you your helplessness, to lead you to Jesus. Now, missionary J.D. Crawley he shares an example taught to him by, by tribal leaders in, in Southeast Asia, by Christians who had come to understand the way the law and the gospel work. We're told a, a man owned a farm that had a, a beautiful lake on it. So people in his area liked to spend time relaxing and, and picnicking at this lake, but the lake was, was deep, and occasionally someone would drown. And so the, the village council asked the owner to do something about it, to, to stop the... the the drownings, and so he put up a warning sign that said, 
swimming prohibited. No swimming. But it's still a beautiful lake. Still very enticing. And perhaps for some, like a teenage boy who who wandered down that sign, no swimming, seems to hint at something great. The prohibition actually feels like an invitation to him. And so he jumps into the water, but it is too deep, and he begins to drown, staring at this sign. And yet there is no hope in the law, no way to cry out to the sign, save me, but he remembers. The law has a lawgiver. There is an owner who put that sign there, and so he, he knows this man. He's in his village, and so he starts to scream his name. And it's there that he finds the rescue. See, when you find yourself confronted by your sin in your hopelessness, there is no hope in crying out to the law for the law cannot save. It was never meant to save you. But there is a lawgiver, the judge, the rescuer. And so call out now for rescue. Respond by faith. Jesus saves. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the hope of this gospel, the Jesus Christ is the one who gave himself for us, that Jesus loved me and died for me. This Lord, help me not to, not to set aside this gospel and, and in my heart chase after my own justifications. Lord, let me not let the things that I do in obedience be the things that I count on for my salvation. Lord, let me trust in Jesus alone. Lord, I pray that this gospel message would bring us hope, that a reminder of this message to to those of us that have walked in faith for decades would be an encouragement and hope that it would invigorate us, that we'd be reminded of the power of Jesus at work in us. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, our Rescuer, our Savior. Amen.